Well, we are going to um, look at the fifth core value that we've been talking about. Um, and we've been organizing our core values of our church around the acrostic for Christ. And we've talked about compassion and honor and responsibility and inspiration. Today we're going to talk about scripture and then next week about truth. And so today we're looking at scripture as a core value. And when we talk about core values, we're talking about things that we want um, our influence. When we influence someone, we want to influence them on these six things. We want to model them well. We, we want these six things to really describe us. When people think of us, they think of us as people of compassion and honor and responsibility and, and people who inspire and encourage other people, people of scripture and people of truth. So let's pray as we begin. Father God, we just come before you today and we just thank you that you are a God who speaks through the scriptures. We thank you, Lord, that the scriptures are alive and powerful and transforming. And we ask, Lord, today once again that you would take your scriptures and speak and bring them alive through your spirit to each one of us. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. First Peter chapter 1, verses 23 through 25, tells us that the Scripture is living and enduring. So he says, For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring Word of God. For all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall. But the word of the Lord endures forever. This is the word that was preached to you. And so Peter there describes, first of all, the scriptures as something that is living. It's not just a dead document. It's a living document. But it's also enduring. And he, and he says to us that we have been born again of this living and enduring seed of God, the word of God. In other words, if it hadn't been for the scriptures, you and I would not know salvation as we know it today. Um, the scriptures uh, produce that, that um, salvation within us. And he says to us, it is eternal. Jesus said that in, in Matthew chapter 4, verse 18. He says, for truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter not the least stroke of a pen, or as the King James says, jot and tittle, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. I heard Dr. Jack Hayford speak uh, several years ago and did a great job teaching on, on the scripture in, in that event. And he was talking about objective researchers. Um, and he said, even objective researchers who are not Christian, who do not accept the authority of the Word of God, he said, even those objective researchers trust the reliability, the credibility, and the trustworthiness of the Scriptures. They may not want to apply it to their lives, but they know it's reliable, they know it's credible, and they know it's trustworthy. Two of the most frequently 
quoted documents of antiquity are those of Plato and Aristotle, who lived between the times of the Old Testament and the New Testament. Now, we don't question their reliability or their credibility or trustworthiness at all. And yet the most, um, the, the oldest available documents we have from them were written over a thousand years after they died. That's as new as we have. The, you know, copies of what they actually wrote, and yet we trust them. We, we don't have any questions about that at all. The New Testament, on the other hand, has about 13,000 copies of manuscripts that are dated about within 300 years of when those authors passed away. And so, you know, you look at that, and the only reason you would not accept the reliability, the credibility, and the trustworthiness of Scripture is that you just don't like the application and the implications for your life. But as a researcher, you look at the scripture and you say, this is more credible and reliable than all these other secular documents that researchers put their trust in. Then Jack Hayford said, and serious students look at the scriptures and they see it as some of the greatest literature that has ever been written. And that's because when you go to the scriptures and you compare it with Um, secular documents of history, the Bible always lines up with what they find in secular history. If something's documented in the Bible, they can find sources of that same event happening in secular history. And so um, people respect the Bible, who aren't even Christians, in terms of its historical value and all of that but also because of its moral influence and moral influence um, on society, even for people who are not saved, the Bible has made a lot of difference in every culture. Thomas Huxley, who is the skeptic, the cynic, and a, a very schooled atheist, he wrote, the Bible has been the Magna Carta of the poor and the oppressed. The human race is not in a position to dispense with it. <laughs> He's an atheist, was an atheist, and yet he said our world cannot survive without the Bible because the Bible has made such a difference in the world, especially for the poor and the oppressed. And then Jack Hayford said, there's a third group of people who are responsive readers and they find the Bible to be power-filled and a transforming book. There is no better book in all the world in terms of teaching on proper relationships. You just, as we've gone through the book of Genesis this last year, there's just tons of relational instruction just going through the book of Genesis and seeing what people did and learning from that and all of that kind of stuff. But then you carry that through the whole Um, Bible, and it's an incredible wealth of wisdom just in terms of of relationships. But there's also no other book in all the world that helps people endure tough times like the Word of God. And so it's a a wonderful book. It's so transforming. So the first thing um, is that the the Word of God is in its living and it's enduring. And then um, the Word of God is flawless. 
Proverbs chapter 30, verses 5 and 6 says, Every word of God is flawless. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Do not add to his words or he will rebuke you and prove you to be a liar. And of course, you know what Revelation, at the end of Revelation, I I think it's chapter 22, might be 21. But in in Revelation, it it warns us again against adding to or subtracting from the words of Scripture because it's flawless as it is. John Wesley encouraged people to live their lives based on four pillars. And what we call them today, the Wesleyan quadrilateral. And the pillar is scripture, tradition, what the church teaches, reason, and experience. And all of those four pillars are very useful and important, but scripture becomes the final judge of the other three. Theologians describe the Bible as flawless, infallible, and that word means to be um, without fault. It's flawless. Catholics believe that, uh, in addition to that, the Pope is um, infallible in matters of religious doctrine. But we believe that only the Bible is, is completely infallible. Infallibility means, again, that the Bible is flawless and faultless. And then David writes in Psalm 119 that Scripture is a lamp and a light. He says, how can a young man keep, stay on a pure path of purity? By living according to your word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And then he says, your word is a lamp for my feet and a light on my path in verse 105. Now lamps and light, those are very practical things. We use them every day. We turn on lights, (laughs) and it's getting dark earlier in the evening, and they're coming on earlier in the evening, and and we like them. Um, we, We don't like hitting our toes in the middle of the night and all those kind of things. They're very practical, useful tools for just common people. They keep us from stumbling around. Well, the Bible was written to be a lamp and a light. In other words, a tool, something useful for common people each and every day. When you think about even the way the the Bible was written, when the New Testament was written, there were a number of options that were out there in terms of what what language to use. And it was written in what they call Koine Greek. Koine Greek was a particular kind of Greek that was used by the most common people of the day. It was not the language of the philosophers. It was not the language of the students. It was not the language of the cultured people. It was, that was not the Greek that was used in our Greek New Testaments. It was the language of the common people because God wanted the New Testament to be able to be read and understood by the most common people. In the 4th century, when uh, Jerome decided to translate the Bible from Greek into Latin, he translated, and the reason he did that is because everyone was speaking Latin and not Greek anymore. And, And when he did that, he had a choice again of two different kinds of Latin. Would he use the Latin of Cicero and Ovid? And would he use the Latin of all the classic 
Roman people? No, he didn't. He translated the, the Latin Vulgate into the common everyday street Latin that was used by, by everyone. God created a book that would exist for the rank and file of the world, most of whom would never desire or aspire to read the classics or to be in that cultured class of people. God avoided speaking to us in the Bible in high tone words meant only to redeem scholars. Indeed, his words have sometimes confounded the scholars <laughs> while it redeemed the simple and the common people of the world. Then scripture is also fruitful. Isaiah 55, verse 11 says, So my word that goes out from my mouth, it will not return empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. The Bible may not always accomplish what you want it to accomplish in your life in any particular day, but here's what God's word says. It will accomplish God's purpose in your life in any particular day. God will accomplish his purpose through the scriptures in your life. Patsy Claremore writes, And the seeds is the pattern, not only for the fruit of the tree. In other words, if I plant an apple seed, that apple seed is going to determine what kind of apple grows on the apple tree when it, it bears fruit. But it's not just that, that the seed determines. The seed determines also the bark and the leaves and the fiber. The Word of God has a pattern for my life. It's not just my spiritual life, but the Word of God provides the pattern for all aspects of my life, my relationships, uh, the things I think about and worry about, all kinds of different aspects of my life. The Word of God provides a pattern for in us. Thomas Jefferson, the founding father, one of the founding fathers of our nation, said the Bible makes the best people in the world. There's no other book that makes better people than the Word of God. And then David, Josh, uh, David Josiah Brewer, who was an associate chief justice of the United States Supreme Court um, at the turn of the century around 1900s, he said, no, no nation is better than its sacred book. In that book are expressed its highest ideals of life, and no nation ever rises above those ideals. No nation has a sacred book compared to ours. This American nation, from the first settlement at Jamestown to the present hour, is based upon and permeated by the principles of the Bible. The more this Bible enters into a national life, the grander and purer and better will be that life. And we're just saying, the founding fathers really believed that the Bible was so critical to a democracy. Because without it, democracy doesn't work very well. The Bible is critical. The Bible makes a difference because no nation rises above its sacred book. And then the scripture is also truthful. John chapter 17, verse 17, Jesus prays and he says, Sanctify them by the truth. 
Thy word is truth. And you go to James chapter 1, verse 22, and it says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. So in other words, we can take in the word of God and ignore it. But in so doing, we are deceiving ourselves. We're, we're not letting the truth soak in. Now, all truth is God's truth. All truth comes from God. The devil is a deceiver. He's a liar. He's been that way from the beginning. And so, you know, all truth comes from God. Therefore, the criteria for judging every thought that you and I have is, is it true to the word of God that has been revealed through Jesus Christ? Every thought that we have, every mindset needs to be evaluated on does it, is it true to the Scripture? Because the Scripture is always true. Martin Luther said, no matter what happens, you should say, this is God's Word. This is my rock. This is my anchor. On it I rely. And it remains. Where it remains, I too remain. Where it goes, I too go. The word must stand, for God cannot lie, and heaven and earth must go to ruins before the most insignificant letter or tittle of his word remains unfulfilled. And then also the scriptures tell us that the scripture is inspired and practical. Second Timothy chapter three, verses fourteen through seventeen, uh, the scriptures that are probably these are some of the most important scriptures about the scripture itself found in all the Bible. But as for you, Timothy, write, or Paul writes to Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures which were able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And again, you see how Paul connects. That was Peter before, and now Paul connects the fact that we are saved because of our connection with the Word of God. It is the Word that brings us to a point of knowing the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he goes on and he says, All Scripture, all of it, every word, is God-breathed and useful for teaching, correcting, rebuking and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So Paul tells this young Timothy that it is the scriptures that have been and will be the basis for a relationship with Jesus Christ and faith in him in his own life, but for also for all of us. And he really goes on to say that Jesus and the scriptures are inseparable. Now, Clark Pinnock, who was uh, a theologian who's passed away now, he said it is consistent to reject scripture and Christ or to accept scripture and Christ. But it is never consistent or honest to accept Christ but not scripture or scripture and not Christ. The two of them are bound together. Christ believed in both the inspiration and the inerrancy of Scripture, 
And you really cannot say you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ if you don't believe what Jesus believed. He believed in the inerrancy and inspiration of Scripture. And if we're followers of Jesus, you and I have to be believers in the Word of God. And if you're a believer in the Scripture, how can you say you don't believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? All of the Scriptures point to Him. That's the message of the scriptures. So Martin Luther said, Christ is the master and the scriptures are the servant of the master. These scriptures are inspired. The inspired God-breathed word of God. They did not originate with man because they are God-breathed. They are not dead documents but rather they are living documents. It has power even when you don't think you have understood it in your life. Even when your mind can't grasp what it is saying, if you will apply the Scriptures and take it in, the Scripture has a power in your life even when you don't, aren't sure what that is. It's working. It is the Word of God. It is God-breathed. Paul goes on to say these scriptures are very practical and relevant. Teaching. It's good for teaching. It's good for rebuking. It's good for correcting. And it's good for training in righteousness. So it's always going to be at work in our lives doing those four things. And sometimes we don't, you know, you go to scripture and you say, man, I, <laughs> I really didn't want to hear that this morning. I want to deal with that in my life. But you know what the scripture is. It's going to teach us. It's going to correct us sometimes. It's going to rebuke us sometimes. It's also going to train us in righteousness. And what is the purpose of that? It's going to equip us. Equip us for good works. The way you and I serve our world, we will do that best if we have allowed the Word of God to shape us first. The Word of God put in our lives will help us serve and help other people. That was the problem with the Pharisees. <laughs> they they worshipped their traditions rather than the Scriptures. And they had become utterly useless to the culture of the day that they lived in. Be very, very careful that you don't worship religious traditions. Make sure you stay focused in the Word of God if you want to be a practical value to the people around you. And then, whoever wrote Hebrews, in verse chapter 4, verse 12, says, For the Word of God is alive and active. Sharper than any double-edged sword, it penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. And so Scripture is surgical. Now, many of you know that I've been doing a lot of doctoring here lately with bladder and kidney issues. And, and so I was in to see the urologist this week, and we were debating, you know, where we go from here and what, what we sh- step we should take and and he was talking about some surgery that we both concluded probably was not 
the, the solution for me. But in the process of that, I asked a number of questions. And I said, how, how can you guarantee me that in the process of fixing that, you're not going to destroy this muscle and that part of me? <laughs> and he says, I, he said, that's the least of your worries. <laughs> because he said, I can, that, that I can easily guarantee. He said, it, it, things have gotten so precise. He said, I would have to, you know, have a heart attack or something in, in the process of surgery for me to even injure those because of all the technical protections in surgery and all of that and all the, you know, the, the helps that we have in surgery. He said, there's no danger of me hurting that muscle or hurting this other part of you um, in the process of doing what that surgery would call for. Well, Scripture is that precise. It is that surgical. Um, The Scripture is alive and active through the presence of the Holy Spirit. It is God's tool in the hands of the great physician, in the hands of the great surgeon, to really get in. And when he talks about dividing between soul and spirit... You know, the soul represents how we think and then how we feel and then the choices we make, our, our will. And, you know, sometimes figuring out, you know, you know, why I do something based on is it because I think a certain way or is it because I feel a certain way, um, all of those kind of things, it divides. The Scripture gets in there and starts fixing and repairing all those aspects of our lives. Uh, it it penetrates between joints and marrow and all of that. And you just think of all the technical things that they can do in surgery today. And God says his word is like a precise surgical instrument that can really get down to the nitty gritty in our lives that no counselor (laughs) is going to be able to get to. And we need to be a people of the word of God. When you read the Bible... Look for space. Look for sins to confess, promises to claim, attitudes to change, commands to obey, and examples to follow. Not everyone um, is an avid reader. Most people today are not. Um, And this sermon is not designed uh, to produce a whole bunch of, of guilt. To those of you who are not avid readers, let me remind you that you're kind of in the majority, especially with the younger generation today that are very, very visual. Um, But across the centuries and across the, the globe, there have been millions and millions of people who are completely illiterate. Christ and the scriptures came for them also. Not just to those who are avid readers or scholars or or any of that. Christ and the scriptures came for both. Now, admittedly, the primary reason our founding fathers of this nation started public schools was because they wanted to produce a population who could read and understand the Bible. Because they believed that a democracy could not exist for very long unless the majority of the population read and understood and practiced the principles found in the Bible. That was the reason we, we started out as a nation um, with public education. Because they wanted all children to grow up reading. In fact, the only textbook for 
several decades in the United States was the Bible in public schools funded by the U.S. government. Because their goal was they understood that no nation survives very long in a democracy if the principles and the values of the Bible are not instilled in them. And you can see um, the danger we're in as a nation as we've walked away from the Bible and we've walked away from the principles of the Bible and little by little, our society is fragmenting and falling apart. But, let me say this. There are a lot of ways to ingest the Holy Scriptures today. We are the most blessed people of any generation that has ever lived in that regard. You can download it free. You can read it. You can listen to it. Um, you can even get the Scriptures illustrated. Um, you can listen and watch many scripture-based preachers and prophets online. You can memorize the scriptures. You can meditate on just a verse or two. Um, and, and sometimes just taking one or two verses and focusing on that is, is far better than uh, trying to hurry through reading three chapters a day or whatever program you're on. In closing this morning, I want to uh, share a story from Craig Rochelle. I may have shared it before, but it's one of my favorite stories. As a young man, he was in, um, he was a sophomore in college. He was not a Christian at all. In fact, he was a pretty good pagan. And he remembers vividly the first step he took towards God. He was part of a fraternity that was known for absolutely outrageous behavior. They'd gotten themselves in a good bit of, of trouble uh, with the college. And they met to brainstorm some ways to improve their reputation. And in the midst of that, he had this radical idea. He said, well, let's start a Bible study. <laughs> he said, what could improve our image on campus better than that? And his fraternity brothers thought that he was absolutely crazy. Um, but he used his authority as vice president to insist, he said, Tuesday night at 7 p.m., starting this week, we're going to have our first Bible study. Well, the next Tuesday, however, on his way to class, he panicked because he realized that he didn't even have a Bible. He didn't even know where to, you could get a Bible. He, he had no idea how to get a hold of a Bible, and he was leading a Bible study that night. He'd never, hardly ever seen a Bible in his life. So he was on his way to class when he noticed this older gentleman walking down the sidewalk toward him with a suit and a tie and a smile. And as he approached, their eyes met, and the man uh, said to him, Would you like to have a free Bible? <laughs> and he handed him that tiny green Gideon paperback Bible, small enough to fit in his pocket, and he walked away. The Gideon walked away still smiling, and he said, I later learned on it. He said, I'd never heard of Gideons before in my life. I had no idea why somebody would walk around campus uh, handing out Bibles, but there he was. And he said, just like that, God provided me with a Bible that I needed just when I needed it, even though I didn't know God yet. And he said, a few hours later, I strolled into my first ever Bible study with seven of my party buddies that were already waiting for me. 
And he said, if God could provide me with a Bible so easily, I knew he was about to do even more in our lives. And he led his fraternity brothers to Christ eventually and and now pastors one of our largest churches in the United States. But just a powerful demonstration of the power of God's word and how God cares about each one of us. And, And one of the ways that God demonstrates his love for us is by providing us the word of God. Take advantage of it.